and unqualified advice from qualified creatives. Basically, we go through it so that you have something to listen to while you have listened and cooked dinner. You're welcome. (laughs) (laughs) Hi. I just finished eating dinner. You mean your soup? Oh, it was so good. It was like a potato and leek soup. Did you make it? Of course I didn't. My husband cooks. Oh, well, I mean, okay. Well, it was made at home. It was made at home. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was made at home. Yeah. I've never made that before. Uh, it's good if you can find leaks and I was able to find leaks at the grocery store. So it worked out. I don't think I've ever in my life purchased leaks ever. I, they're like a large green onion, Geo. You're really missing out. They just make me think of that Pokemon. Yeah. Oh, the one that carries, it's like yeah. a little duck that carries a leak. I don't remember the name and everyone's going to kill me because leak I leak. Just, I don't know. <laughs> I can't remember. I want to say I'm not going to Google it. Oh no, yeah. it's definitely not Psyduck. He's orange. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my God. My husband just screamed far fetch from downstairs. Oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Pokedex. So what, what are you drinking? We were just drinking, talking about what I was drinking. What are you drinking? We're both drinking red wine. I, I, Ber- Beringer? Ber- Beringer? I don't know how to say oh, that. Yeah. Say it. I'm not really a, like a red wine drinker, but I just, you know, I've, I was feeling festive. <laughs> it's Monday. It's a day <laughs> yeah, to be exactly. festive. Yeah, yeah. Hey, you know, it's during the quarantine. It's a, it's a festive day. Yeah, it is a, it's a day of celebration because it is plus 18 here. It is oh, shit. 18 degrees Celsius. We went outside. I wore a hoodie and just like thin sweatpants, no doubling up layers. And my husband wore his winter boots and his jacket and a toque because he is insane. I didn't even go outside today. Like, not even gonna lie. I've just been glued (laughs) to my computer. So I'm not allowed to do that. I have dogs and they will not leave me alone. (laughs) That's why I don't think I'll ever get a dog. Yeah, it's a lot of work. If you're not uh, if you're not into walks and constantly screaming what's in your mouth, then I don't recommend it. Similar to kids. Similar to kids. Also, probably we'll never have kids, so yeah, <laughs> we're we're cl- all clear. <laughs> so I don't know how to segue into today's topic. It's a pretty it's a pretty heavy one. I picked it, so you can blame me if this goes horribly wrong. I don't think it's, I don't think it's heavy. <laughs> you say that, and then we get you know halfway into discussing I'm this, crying. and then it's like, yeah, we're both <laughs> crying, and you're like, I guess we're just gonna have to re-record about just scrap something else. The episode. Yeah, just scrap it. So I really wanted to talk about compassion and failure today. And the reason that I want to talk about those things is because we've skirted around them and they've kind of come up in conversation in a couple of the other episodes that we've recorded, but we've never dedicated the whole episode to it. Mm-hmm. So I, I think that failure especially is a huge part of the creative process because when you're making stuff, chances are you're not going to be as good as you want to be right out the gate. So you're going to fail. You're going to try to do stuff and it's not going to come out the way you want. Yeah. And I also think that like the antidote to failing like that is, is compassion, having compassion for yourself. But we can also kind of 
talk about it from the community perspective because, again, this is something that we've kind of talked about in our previous episodes, but we haven't explored in depth, and that's the community aspect of creativity. I think we might have talked about that metaphor that's like, when the tide comes in, all the boats go up. So like if you're trying to elevate your career, looking for opportunities to elevate other people's careers is basically like the best possible way to do that. Absolutely. I find that when, especially because social media is like the thing today. Yes. When you're putting stuff out there, work or any collaboration or whatever, and you have other people that are involved in the project, or even if it's like a headshot that I got taken and I'm, you know, posting about the photographer. Yeah. That is exactly what you're talking about where, you know, I didn't like people like, Oh, I love these pictures. I'm like, (laughs) I just, I just stood there and like, and was awkward in front of the camera. Like I had nothing. Make stuff in isolation. Like even writing, like people, definitely have writing pegged as a solitary pursuit with good reason because you have to be able to to go away and be quiet and write stuff down by yourself Mm -hmm. but many people co-author books together and even people who don't I know that for me I've seen a huge change in my commitment to writing my confidence in writing and my willingness to share out writing to possible critics or even to submit things because Mm -hmm. I've built a community of other writers that I've practiced that stuff with or who have like supported me through that stuff first Mm -hmm. you know what I mean so it's not even like collaborating in like the traditional sense of the word where you're like co-creating something but it's like having somebody to like bounce stuff off of I would say is part a part of collaborating as well oh yeah I one of the things I don't have a lot of is that I can be like hey can you look at this or what do you think a because I don't necessarily reach out to people because I don't think it's almost like I in my head I'm like no one cares you know like no one's gonna care about hey can you just like look at this and I try and also there's a second kind of underlying narrative that I think like I have to figure this out myself yeah that's really interesting because I think that dovetails really neatly into the second subject or the second topic of this episode, which is compassion. So you said a couple of things there that I'd like to kind of pull apart if you're okay Mm -hmm. with it. And the first thing was like, I don't want to reach out to people because I'm like, who am I to bother them with my dumb shit? Like, why do they care? I'm just, I'm doing this and it's, you know, my responsibility to figure out how to do it, which is the second part, right? I also kind of approached the writing community that way where I was like, who am I? Like, I haven't published anything. I have hobby interest in reading and editing and I have no credentials. So trying to navigate a community of people who are at all different levels. There are people who are self-published. There are people who haven't published. People working on their very first ever manuscript draft, whatever, whatever. I was like very intimidated because I'd never put anything out. I'd never even like published anything on my website, like let alone getting into like the various levels or steps of publishing. Right. Mm -hmm. And I felt like, who was I to assault these people with my crap (laughs) that I was making? (laughs) And then the secondary part of that was once I started getting more serious about writing stuff, I don't have a critique group. I don't have like a class from my master's degree because I don't have an MFA of people who, you know, would sit sit and 
look at each other's work and give notes on it. So it's like, how do I do this? Like, I have to actually like reach out to people and ask them if I'm not going to pay someone to do a line edit for me what they think of my work. And I have done that with so many people. I've done that with you. I've done it with my husband. It always starts close to home, right? Like you start doing it that way. But I've also had the opportunity to have one of my contacts and one of my friends from the Writers Guild, who is a professional editor at a publishing house, did a line edit of one of my short stories for me. And that was so amazing and so kind of him to do that. Like with no expectation of anything. I literally just tweeted, hey, I have some bullshit if anyone wants to read it and give me feedback. That would be great. And he was like, hey, I'll look at your bullshit. <laughs> like, and I was like, oh my God, thank you so much. So That's awesome. Because I've also had people approach me and say, hey, do you have time to read this? And I've never been like, oh no, you are so annoying and how dare you bring this to me and expect me to do something with it. Literally the most negative reaction I've ever had to anyone asking me to proofread something was somebody gave me some work of theirs and I was like, I don't feel well-versed enough in this genre or the medium to give good critique. So I felt like I was at a disadvantage and I was doing them a disservice, even though they weren't paying me and there was no, no... exchange in this way other than just this person was like hey do you mind looking at this and I was like yeah I'd love to and then I felt like I was letting them down because I didn't have the skill set necessary to give insightful feedback but I would never be like oh god I can't believe it like this person passed me their garbage and expects me to look at it like why can't they just figure it out but that in itself is a way for us to learn and to grow is by being able to look at someone else's work Oh, absolutely. See what's good about it, what needs some like change, what needs to be edited or whatever, you know? And it's really like at the end of the day, it's up to them to do what they will with that feedback. Yeah, because they can choose whether to change it or not because you're not responsible for the work. No. So does that mean you're going to start reaching out to people and asking them for feedback on your work? Honestly, probably not. (laughs) I'm not going to lie. It's more of the thing where I... I'm trying, I just try to get things done and move on. Obviously be conscious about like what a design is and how I'm approaching it and like what the, you know, what the message is behind what I'm creating. But it's more of a, the feedback I'll get is from the client. Yeah, and and that's different too because you're writing, you're not writing, sorry. You are designing something to spec. So you already have a set of really specific guidelines and the person that you want giving you feedback is the person that you're working with who's paying for the product. It's always easier too when it's a one-on-one kind of thing, like when the client is just the one person versus it being a team of people. Because I always find that working with a committee or a group where there are multiple cooks in the kitchen, then you you can send it off to the rep of the company and they could say, oh, this is great. And then the next day they'll be like, hey, so we showed it to so-and-so and they had some critiques. Yeah, that's fine. And, and it, it like, it's all part of, you know, at this point, I used to take it personally. Oh, no. Yeah. You and can. now I don't. It's like, it is not about you, girl. Like, yeah, <laughs> it's absolutely. not about you. And what's interesting, too, I was going to say that it occurs to me that even if you're not taking feedback or suggestions on your design work specifically, especially when you're working on contract, you do seek out people in the community to help you along in other ways. Like, look at the mentorship program that Mm -hmm. you just did right like because you wanted 
feedback on how to grow your enterprise. I was like, what's the noun version of entrepreneurial? And like how to how to kind of navigate your business in that way. And that's like a huge part of that. Oh yeah, for sure. I I want direction on how to better myself as a business person versus you know, creative, because that you're always kind of changing, you're always evolving with everything that, you know, when it comes to like your influences and how you like, you know, your perspective creatively, but when it comes to business, that that to me was all new in the last few years. And so Mm -hmm. to me, having the mentorship was something that was beneficial for me as somebody who had no experience (laughs) running a business and, (laughs) you know, being front facing to potential like larger clients. It's just interesting to see the different approaches that people can have. But I also wanted to talk a little bit about something else that you kind of brought up, which is that like when you're in a creative pursuit, the technique is always changing. So I was going to say that there is a theory that's been popularized by Malcolm Gladwell, if you've ever heard of him, Mm -hmm. his book Outliers. Outliers, I should say. So his theory is that if you practice something for 10,000 hours, which I was looking it up and I guess the breakdown is like 20 hours a year for like 10 years. No, that can't be right. Is it? I'm really hours bad at year. math. I was going to say, I'm like, you're asking 20 me. hours a week. <laughs> I, don't know. I hate math. It's 10,000 hours. Uh, so how do we figure this out? I have no idea. We can skip this. Yeah, let's just cut this. <laughs> I don't want to sound like an like idiot. So bad. No, I want to sound like an idiot. So keep my part in. So it's just gonna be like you responding to yourself. <laughs> <laughs> just cut out me. <laughs> keep it in. Leave it in. So he basically says, regardless of how you want to break it down over time, he's saying that ten thousand hours of deliberate practice are needed to become world class in any field, and like mm-hmm. deliberate practice in this sentence means practicing in a way that pushes your skill set as much as possible. So I thought that was really interesting, especially because we're both in creative areas or realms or pursuits or whatever you want to call it. Endeavors. Um, Endeavors, domains. Mm -hmm. And there's a counter argument to this that basically says that if you are in a specific domain that the 10,000 hour rule will not hold true. And creative domains are one of these domains that kind of are the exception to the 10,000 hour hour rule because the criteria for what makes someone an expert in their field is constantly changing because things are different. Tastes are different. Expectations are different. There's no set of rules that stays the same throughout. So you can't work toward a finite point of expertise. Oh, yeah. Look at these people who become experts or like they're revered within no time. And they're like, I'm like, mm-hmm. where did this person come from? And they're yeah. like, you know, specifically like, I don't know, I'm thinking like the music industry where somebody will oh, blow yeah. up and it's like, they're the shit. It's like, they yeah. are. It's interesting that you reference the music industry because this one of the articles that I saw when I was looking up the 10,000 hour rules, they literally talk about Sid Vicious. Never mind the bollocks. Here's the Sex Pistols. So Sid Vicious could not play the bass. And he was the bassist for that band. What? People just loved him anyway. It just didn't matter. It was like the Ramones kind of too. Like the Ramones had like pretty shitty guitar playing as well. Or I guess it was like pretty basic. But people loved them anyway. Because at the time they came along, that was just what caught the public's interest. 
if you look at just because I see so much of it where you have all these different creatives online, specifically in like visual pursuits, yeah, they're putting out all different types of videos and these, everything is so across the board. It's somebody's art. To well, me, maybe so I don't understand subjective. it. But... Yeah. yeah. There are certain things I think from what little I know about visual art from what we took in high school and also the art history classes that I took as part of my degree. <laughs> Fifth century Hellenistic style. Um, <laughs> there are certain conventions, I guess, that come through certain historical periods and then they'll say like, oh, these attributes are specific to a specific period or a specific style or like whatever or like movement I should say they're like a specific movement like dadaism or impressionism or like I'm talking about like painting but sculptures as well and now there's just I think there's like such a saturation of media and what people can post it's so much more accessible to post your art online now than it ever has been before so there are a lot of people who break these conventions and you see a lot of that with writing as well like I have certain hard and fast rules that I abide by in my writing and some of them are grammar nitpicks and some of them are like stylistic conventions that for example if I'm reading a book I don't want to hear a lot of descriptions of somebody seeing thinking remembering hearing because it's considered to filter your experience as the reader you're thinking Mm -hmm. about the main character as a separate person than yourself and it's hard to immerse yourself in the story that's just one example and there are a lot of people who are like huge online and who have huge followings who like basically just flip off all of those writing conventions and they do it successfully they're like my followers don't care i'm making a mint publishing ebooks or whatever like it doesn't matter we live in the age of like the individual and so i think that as much as you know people want to say that online like we're a community and whatever it's that there's this individualistic approach to art or that expression and however people do it of course it's going to connect with people because there are enough people in the world that have the same interests as you or the same perspective or the same yeah sometimes being niche isn't as limiting as we think it is no it's not yeah it can be like very it can make your stuff seem more accessible in a way and definitely more authentic because you're kind of just doing whatever you want to do and you're doing it for yourself. You're not trying to appeal to the widest popular audience, right? So I think like instead of 10,000 hours of formal instruction or practice, creative people maybe need like something more like 10,000 hours pursuing their authenticity like figuring out what it is that makes their stuff unique and keep doing that and what they I like, what that. they connect with. I love that because it's that's that's harder to spend time looking inwards and saying, okay, who am I and like how do I express that? And not even thinking like, you know, oh, how am I going to do this? It's like, okay, just doing it is already hard enough because we have so many issues with connection to self. The amount of times that I kind of look at, okay, have I actually, how am I expressing, when it's my own work, am I expressing me? Like, I don't even think about it because it's just, I like this, I respond to this, this is how I do it. I just like, you're not thinking, you're just creating, you're making something. Yeah. And then it ends up being like fun, people like it. Not that that's the yeah, goal. Yeah, you know. but it is the goal because it's like to connect people through your art or to connect two people through your art. Like I know for me, Part of the reason that writing is really important to me is because when I read stuff that really connects with me on a core level, 
it makes me feel a little bit less alone. It makes me feel a little bit more supported, a little bit more like somebody else has been here before you, or it might take me away from whatever shitty time I'm having, you know, not being able to remember some of the foundational bands of the punk movement in the (laughs) seventies and lets me pretend that I'm someone else who's much smarter than me, you know? But it it does remind you of is though that in a sea of billions of people out in the world, your voice is still, it still matters. It's valuable. Yeah. Just simply by the the fact of it being your voice, it's yours. Yeah. It's yours alone and nobody else can replicate it. And you're, you're putting it out there on that, like very uplifting note. Should we take a little break? Sure. Is that the break sound I hear? And we're back. God, that was the longest break of my life. (laughs) (laughs) I have cramps from how long that break was. I don't know where the cramps are, but they're there. I can feel them. I, I think there's an app for that. <laughs> I I know that you said an app, but I heard a nap and I was like, oh, don't worry. I already had a nap today. <laughs> You're like, I've scheduled it in. I got it. I got yeah. it. Yeah. So before the break, we were talking about Malcolm Gladwell's theory that Malcolm Gladwell popularized, which is the 10,000 hours to become an, a master theory. And then we talked a little bit about sharing our work with others and whether that helps us or not. So I wanted to talk a little bit about rejection. And I think that the other two things that I wanted to talk about, which are kind of like negativity and criticism feed into that. So for myself, I know that I think negativity and criticism make me a better writer, but I'm coming to realize and trying to come to terms with the fact that that is probably not accurate. So basically what I've realized over time is that constantly criticizing myself and pulling apart my work and putting more pressure on myself to do better is very paralyzing. So it doesn't actually push me to work harder. No. Yeah. And a lot of actually this stuff that I get caught up in in my mental dialogue when I'm talking shit on myself and my work is the stuff that comes up when I am dealing with rejection. So like if I get a form email back from a publisher who doesn't want to publish my work, I'll be like, oh, you're you're very bad at this and you should feel bad and nobody wants to read your stuff, which is really similar to the kind of stuff that I criticize myself with. So do you think that negativity and criticism and rejection can be motivators to work harder or do you think that like it's similar for you where you need a more self-compassionate bent to move forward in your work well for me it's a it's evolved over the years like it's gone kind of all over the place when i was younger yeah definitely criticism was like i took it personally it was always like oh my god like i suck i'm not i'm i'm not good i'm not this i'm not that whatever I have one story in particular that I always think about when it comes to this particular topic. And when I was fresh out of school, or I was just about done, I went to a portfolio review and stop me if I've already talked about this. I Uh, cannot remember any of your stories. I'm so drunk right now. uh, Yeah, (laughs) just kidding. (laughs) She's lying. (laughs) Uh, No, I actually don't think I've ever heard this one. I am very interested. I'm being quiet because I'm listening, Gio. 
So, um, <laughs> so <laughs> I went to a portfolio review because I was wrapping up my undergrad and I knew that I was about to go into the corporate world and that I just wanted some pointers to help me to basically see where I could go. Cause I really, I just needed a job. I was, you know, living in the city. I didn't, I was, I just needed to work. So this agency, I cannot remember the name. At the time, I had just mostly my like schoolwork, uh, some of the freelance that I had done in school and anything crazy, you know, like nothing over the top. I, and then I did have a couple like the fashion projects that I did back in the day. And uh, so I show her my stuff and she was like, yeah, um, I just, I just don't see you getting hired in corporate. Oh my God. And because corporate is at the time, like now things have changed. That was 10 years ago, more than 10 years ago. But it, it was this thing where, you know, I wanted to work for an agency. I really, because that's where I could make actual money. I could live in this, like I could live off of it. And so she was like, you're not going to, I don't see you finding work in corporate. You know, you're really going to have to try. It's, it's going to be tough for you. Like, you know, good luck, basically. Like basically saying like you're fucked. Wow. And I was, yeah. So I, helpful. Yeah, I know. Because it was, she's I'm like, you're too, you're, you're too artistic you're too artistic. It's too creative. It's too um, colorful. It's too like so many things. And I <laughs> said to myself, I remember walking out and down the stairwell to this to like outside. And I remember thinking to myself, I'll show her. And, and not that I ever saw her again. I don't remember what she looks like. Oh, I, just I think I do remember this story. And then it ends with you being like, every time you're in a coffee shop or a deli, you'll be hearing my songs on the radio. Oh, no, wait, that's Lady Gaga. Sorry. You go ahead. No, it's a different story. No, this was like, I'm going to show her uh, I will get a job in corporate because I, or at an agency because I just, you know. And then within a few months, I was working at, you know, the agency that I worked at. But it was that thing Mic where drop. I used that. I use that moment to be like, fuck you. I'm going to, I'm going to find, I'm going <laughs> to find the light of fire under your ass. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, cause I, I, I needed to like live and survive. Oh but... yeah. The, the uh, rent is also another fire, <laughs> the twin yeah. flames of rejection and rent. Yeah. But then exactly. It's one of those moments where, you know, it was, it wasn't, Oh, I'm taking this personally. Like, of course I did on some level because but well, at the time yeah, I had no experience something that you produced, but now, now the way I look at things, I look at criticism as something that, okay, make revisions because I think that what I've done is good. But in the end, sometimes that criticism and then the revisions, they end up being like exactly what it was meant to be. Yeah. And on top of that, I find rejection or anything where, you know, it didn't go the way that I wanted to, that I was expecting. I, as much as like my like old school knee jerk reaction would be to be like, oh shit, like, and take it personally. Now I really approach it from that wasn't meant for me. This is not part Ooh. of my path. This is not part of the journey. I hate that word, but truly the journey or whatever <laughs> that I'm meant to be on, you know, like what's meant for me is coming. And yeah. so I try to look at it that way so that I'm not like every time something doesn't go my way, I'm like, poor me, you know? <laughs> Don't make impressions of me to my face, Gio. That's rude. <laughs> <laughs> but I hear that a lot too. And I see it on Instagram because, you know, everybody loves the Instagrammable quotes. And there's yeah. this one that's been circulating for a little while, which is like, trust the process. So it's like, be confident in the fact, just like you were saying that maybe this just wasn't meant for you, or you're at a point where things just won't work out. Like I know for me, I really thought 
probably like most people that 2019 was a garbage fire and 2020 was really going to be my year. Yeah. Oh, so funny. <laughs> yeah, but it's not over yet. Uh, you no, have, it's you, not. But you know. I was going to say at the end of 2020, I was still actively trying to make things happen for myself and I was submitting to places and I was doing things and, and whatever. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that came up was an opportunity to be in a mentorship program as well through the Writers Guild. And I ended up not applying to it. I missed the application deadline because my dad passed like a week before that happened and it just like didn't come together. And then I was like, it wasn't even just that my application didn't come together. It was that I was thinking about my grief and going through that and experiencing it. And I was like, I honestly don't know if I can commit to something like this, like where somebody is going to have an expectation that I'm going to be working Yeah, because that was true. part of the, the deal with the mentorship was like, you're submitting pages over a period of time for a certain amount of time. And I was like, I don't know that I can do that. So I just let it go. And that, sucked a little bit but at the same time I was like trying to do to apply that axiom where it was like maybe this just isn't isn't the right time for me and that's totally fair as there's so many opportunities that are out there right now maybe they're a bit more limited because of what's going on in the world but at the same time there's everyone's moving even more online and so there's a lot there's a lot that will come. So to think of, you know, one opportunity that didn't necessarily happen, you just got to move, move forward. Yeah. And I think it's important to spend a little bit of time talking about not comparing yourself to where other people are, because I think that's a place where especially creatives stumble. And again, going back to the 10,000 hour rule that we were just talking about, when you're talking about something, an achievement that is based on a set and inflexible standard or codex or book of rules, it's a lot easier to make one-to-one -one comparisons and be like, oh, yeah. this person succeeded and this person did not. And these are the reasons why. But when you're talking about creative pursuits and things that are governed by public taste, popular culture, subjective taste, all of that kind of stuff is so much harder to make a comparison and be like, why am I doing everything quote unquote right and still not succeeding when this person isn't doing things the way that I would or is doing them quote unquote wrong and seems to be succeeding. But success in even just thinking about what that means, I'm successful. I'm not successful. What does successful mean? Does it mean it money? Your in the parents bank? stop calling you and being like, when are you going to go to school to be a doctor? Yeah. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. My parents still call me. Um. <laughs> <laughs> don't make a sad noise. That was a dead dad joke. I thought it was funny. My dad would have thought that was funny. Okay. That's the kind of person my dad was. He had a fucking twisted sense of humor. Uh, yes, he did. I That's inherited sure. that from him 100%. Renee. <laughs> Oh my God, daddy, is that you? <laughs> oh, now it got weird. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, moving on. Uh, yeah, no, it's exactly as you said, S success is completely subjective as well. So even the metric by which you measure your success is really, really hard to, to make a comparison to somebody else's because you're just going based on what you think, what your internal value system is that you think is successful. But also and what 
what you see and what your perception oh, of that right. person's success is because really you don't know what really went into that what really went into all the hard work or what wasn't there or what free pass they got or if they were you know if they had, a, had some sort of privilege which make that let them move ahead quicker and whatever yes there's so many variables that you can't really you See can't just look outside no not no, at all yeah the one you you understand it more when you're actually going through it yourself and you can actually pull your ego aside and not be too um, identified with taking it personally. It's not, it's not about Yeah. You. They're rejecting me versus yeah, it's the like, work. No. Exactly. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Mm -hmm. So I just wanted to talk a little bit about meditation because that's my jam. Um, humana, humana, humana. Uh, that is not meditation. <laughs> Humana, humana, humana is the sound when you like see an attractive woman and you're a man in an 80s cartoon, isn't it? No, I thought it was, ah, oh, God. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> I think those, those two sounds are cousins, if not. Um, no, I think the, the word or the sound you were looking for is ohm, mm. um, traditionally. But yeah, so if you struggle a little bit with like having patience or compassion with yourself and you're kind of like beating the shit out of yourself mentally for not performing to a measure that you've imposed on yourself, I'm going to ask you, Gio, what your tips for people who maybe struggle with that a little bit are, but I'll say for myself that in the last year or two, I've become more and more familiar with meditation and sort of just basic principles of mindfulness. Yeah. And that really, really helps me because it just, like Gio was just talking about like pulling the ego away so that you don't identify with it as closely. Like that's what I find meditation does for me. So it just puts like a layer of mindfulness and awareness between me and like feelings of rejection or feelings of hurt or feelings of inadequacy or whatever. And there's a particular type of meditation called meta meditation, which is M-E-T-T-A or loving kindness meditation. What is that? I've never heard of that. It's, um, it's just another modality, I guess you could say, or another kind of type of meditation, but it's specifically aimed at instead of just letting your mind kind of be present fall into the present or like have a focus on your breathing or or your awareness or stuff like that you call to mind a feeling of compassion or love that you have for somebody like a, a genuine feeling of compassion and caring and then you choose where to focus that and that's what the meditation is so like for me if i'm really struggling with feelings of inadequacy or like low self-worth I could do a meditation, a metta meditation or a loving kindness meditation for myself and hold myself in compassion just for like 10 minutes, five minutes, if I can't manage 10, 20 minutes, if I'm feeling really ambitious, where I'm like sending myself the, the love and compassion and approval that I wish I was getting, you know, externally. So that way my feelings of being rejected or my feelings of being not rejected, rejected, I should say, my feelings of being accepted aren't dependent on an external source. I can give that to myself by holding myself in loving kindness. If only that we could feel for ourselves the way that we feel for others, especially yes, those closest to us. Yes, that's the idea of it. Because it's yeah. literally like a meditation that basically is meant to create the same sensation as 
if I'm having a shitty day and I call you and you give me like an epic pep talk and you're like, this is why you're great and why people love you and why I love you. You know what I mean? But it's focusing all that energy inward so that you Mm -hmm. can give it to yourself so that, you know, if you're in the middle of like a five course meal or a bubble bath or something like that, when I call you, and you need, you need that self care time. I can like, well, I usually like to eat a five course meal during a bubble bath. So, oh, you know. bougie bitch. <laughs> Don't eat in the tub. That's not sanitary. But anyway, so that's neither is just being in a tub. I'm that's sorry. True. But like- you're just soaking in your hot skin juice, but you know what? I love a bath. So fuck you, Joe. Don't <laughs> <laughs> Don't okay. tell me how to live my life. I'm I'm just better for the uh, environment. Oh, the shower. Wow, I don't think that's true. But anyway, <laughs> do you? <laughs> let's move on. Do you have any tips? Like, how do you kind of deal with it? Like, you were already kind of talking about that. Like, when you deal with rejection, you trust in your timing and go like, I don't think this is meant for me, and I think I just need to focus on what comes next. Is there anything else that you do, or is that the gist of it? Well, it just depends on what's going on in my life. But I, for me, one of the earlier, I think in when I left Toronto um, in 2016, that's when I really was figuring shit out just internally and like where I was at emotionally and there's a lot going on. And so I, I remember I was having a bit of a, you know, one of the many panic attacks that I used to have or just mental breakdowns and just because not being happy with the direction of my life. And with myself, honestly, it was mostly, I was just unhappy with myself. And I, I turned to yoga. And so I started going to um, a yoga studio in Amherstburg, uh, which no longer exists, Love It Yoga. It was a, this little yoga studio. It was all women. I was the first man to start going there regularly. And I was like their big gay mascot. And it was, <laughs> oh no, but, and these ladies just taught me how to go inwards and to really connect with who you, I am as a person and that year that I went between uh, Toronto and Edmonton was the base of starting that the approach Practice. to mindfulness in every day. And so now, you know, four years later, I it's not something that I practice every day, but it's I'm I check in with myself. I talk to myself. Sometimes I'm getting out of whack and I can be I can get, you know, a little frenetic sometimes. And what is this teaching me? Or what are you like, do you really need to be this way? And for me, it's just checking in with myself. And my version of that is just is really like I like I separate myself from my emotions and I'll have comfort. my car is like that's where the I do place a lot where of, you talk to yourself <laughs> oh yeah sometimes hearing my own voice like I'll be like okay what what why are you so stressed and I will actually say these things out loud and it really does help yeah because you're you know. checking in with yourself you're connecting to yourself you're not just getting caught up in that spiral of thoughts up until my mid to almost late 20s I was like crazy person I just think back to all the times like the wasted energy you know, and the amount of hair follicles that I've killed because of, <laughs> because of not being able to calm my brain. For sure. And I think like to be able to compartmentalize the emotions, re- stepping back, recognizing that you're having those feelings and then showing yourself a level of empathy where you're like, this is really hard. This is really, really hard. I love talking about empathy because I'm obsessed with Brene Brown, just like every other 30 something white woman with an access <laughs> to the internet like <laughs> love Brene Brown it like deeply discomfits me but also brings me so much joy that I find everything she has to say so relatable it's wild 
I used to always um, confuse Brene Brown with Bobby Brown, but not like, not like 80s sensation Bobby Brown, but Bobby Brown, the makeup. The makeup, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was like, Bobby Brown, I know, I think I know her. I was like, no. Bobby Brown's this- so inspirational. No. <laughs> <laughs> Brene, Brene. I Brene Brown is like a, she's like, a, what I find really fascinating with her, about her is that she's like a career like researcher who basically like, has proven a bunch of things about the mechanics of human thought through qualitative, like exhaustive qualitative research, which I, I find that really interesting. And she has a podcast too. It's called Unlocking Us or something, I think is what mm-hmm. it's called. Oh my God, Brene, amazing. We love you. But anyway, so she, in one of her latest episodes, she talks about how exercising empathy is the antidote to shame and if you're like me and you kind of struggle with like internalizing these feelings of like low self-worth that can lead to a lot of shame and the stuff that you were saying geo like about confronting that almost in yourself and then administering like almost aggressive empathy where you're like i understand what is happening here this it's going to be okay you know what i mean like the amount of times that I've had to tell myself, you've been through worse. You've gone through much more difficult hurdles emotionally, mentally yeah. than what this is. You've got this. You're just slipping a little bit. Feelings, feelings. are not yeah. factual. Yeah. Feelings no, are not, not factual. And so- Oh my God. The amount of times I've had that conversation with people where I'm like, just because it's coming from your own brain doesn't mean that it's true. Our brains are really good at telling us the biggest bullshit. It's what's that um, uh, halt? It's like oh, if you're yes. if, if you're having like a stressful moment, it's like okay, halt. Are you hungry? Yeah. Are you feeling alone? Yep. Are you what's the third one? L. I have no idea. Lethargic. Something Listless. L. And then uh, uh, tired. Like you just check in with yourself. You know, oh, have I eaten? Do I need to rest? And it's like these basic things that you think we would acknowledge and be aware of but we don't oh lonely it's okay so that's why you you said alone for a but really it's hungry angry lonely and tired and all of those things have a huge huge impact on our mental state and then lead to you producing thoughts that actually have no bearing on the actual problem no because the shit that i think when i'm when i'm hungry is truly wild and my god (laughs) will i yell at my husband if i'm hungry and he's standing between me in the kitchen i'm not even joking i yell at mine a lot too oh how is your husband (laughs) have we given him a name yet uh he's currently buffering uh (laughs) (laughs) i don't have a husband if just to be clear (laughs) he is single and ready to mingle once coronavirus is done I think a lot of I think a lot of people will be ready to mingle when this is over. Oh my god, I laughed so hard because I saw a tweet that was like, people are tweeting about how in nine months we're gonna have a baby boom and they are stupid. Instead, we're gonna have a boom of divorces. A buddy of mine in Toronto was we were like messaging and he he was like, Oh, like I just miss guys, like blah blah blah. And Mm. I said to him, You're quarantined with your partner. (laughs) You have access to a person, like I don't <laughs> like stop what complaining. Are you saying, oh yeah. My God. Uh, well, I think uh, I think that's it for us. I just want to say thanks to everyone for listening to me. Yeah, and to me. And uh, if you have any burning questions or you know punk rock album recommendations for me to <laughs> fuck up in the next episode, 
please email us at listen to me podcast at gmail.com. And you can follow us on all social media platforms, aka Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at listen to me podcast. And that's with the number two. And if you like what you hear, please subscribe. Yes. And also at this point, if we have enough of a listenership, I would love for you guys to rate us on Apple podcasts or Spotify and uh, leave us a review. Let us know like what you think and we would love that. Uh, and as always, music in this episode is graciously provided by audionautics.com. Bye, everybody. Bye. Bye.